You are listening to Tornado Radio, weathering the storms here in Central Texas and all points abroad since 2020, looking for a brighter future. All right, so I am sitting with Anne and Garrett and Joey of Martian Folk. A little bit about Martian Folk. This is a band that has kind of been like the soundtrack of probably the last two years of my life, year and a half, two years. And their name has come up a few times on this show because it seems like they're playing pretty much everywhere in Bell County, which is a very good thing. So it is with great, <laughs> profound pleasure and chaos and hijinks ensuing that uh, Tornado Radio is going to interview Martian Folk. Welcome, Martian Folk, Garrett and Joy. You know I love you guys and the music you play, so I'm very happy you could join us today. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Martian folk music to me is all about music that is continuously evolving creatively to the point that songs sound new, even though I've heard the same song many times before. Tell us about Martian folk and its current incarnation. Who are the members of the band and what instruments do they play? Yeah, so Martian folk, beautifully described by both of you, is uh, the soundtrack to my life. It's the soundtrack to hopefully numerous people's well, lives. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, does my, it does my heart well to hear you describe it that way, but it also is ever growing. It's ever changing. It, um, consists currently of myself, Garrett Askins. I play acoustic guitar and sing and songwrite. Got Joseph Turner here on the vibes, the drums, the vocal harmonies, the shakers, what else do you do? You got you got more than that. Um, the dope rhymes. Dope rhymes. That, but you can't call me Joseph. If that's true. That's that. true. That's, that's, that's back to Joey. Yeah, yeah. No, that's Fat Joey T. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Nestor Rios. He plays the saxophone, the harmonica. The, he sings a little bit too. He sings a little bit too. And can, and then Marshall Fowler is our our new bass player. Yes. Oh. Marshall brings the bass from outer space, and we have really been evolving our sound lately and it's closer than it's ever been to the way that it sounds in my head and and my heart every time we play together we get a little bit better we get a little bit deeper and we just get a little closer to the the truth that we're trying to express that's a that's a difficult thing yeah and i'm saying this as, as a musician that's that's impressive yeah, even close. Yeah, and that it is. It's a it's a constant journey, and we're we're constantly trying to do our best to get as close as we can, because we know it. We know the we know the truth of it all. We feel it just deep within us, and then expressing it, getting it out there in the world is um, incredibly complicated. How did each of you get involved in music, and how has that journey developed over time? Well, I come from a musical family background. My dad's a piano player. Uh, arranger, composer, etc. My mom's a music teacher, uh, so I've been immersed in music my whole life. I knew I was going to be a musician from a young age, 
playing on the pots and pans in the kitchen on the floor. I was like, okay, drums. And then I tried to play other things. Um, I played piano as a kid, and then I quit because I wanted to play outside more than I wanted to practice inside because uh, I also wanted to, you know, play G.I. Joe's with my friends and whatever. Um, then I started trumpet um, when I was in, I think, fifth grade, sixth grade. Then I came down with an illness called Sydenham's chorea. That's kind of like rheumatic fever in a way. Um, and I lost a lot of like muscle control. My hands would freeze up, seize up. Um, and if my hands closed, I can't play the trumpet. I can't operate valves. I can't play the piano, but I could hold a drumstick. So I went right back to drums, kind of like they brought me back to me. And uh, I've been playing the drums since then. So a long time. <laughs> that's, that's my musical history and in a, a very simplified version. That's awesome. Doing this, I was like, I bet Joey's going to drop something that like I just had no idea that about, and we're already yeah. there. He's <laughs> right, right in the very beginning. We're already there. Um, I grew up on stage, but not in a, a musical sense. I loved theater ever since I can remember, um, except for my first play. I, I remember, I think I was about four years old and I, my parents really had to like push me out on stage. But ever since they gave me that nice little shove on lovingly, of course, <laughs> shoved onto the stage. Uh, I've loved it ever since I, I think I was a, a crow and I was, I was to do a little crow dance and, um, immediately got just the awes and love from the crowd. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Um, <laughs> But music-wise, uh, I grew up listening to, to Bob Dylan and the Beatles. And um, during my early teen years, I've, I found a band called Bright Eyes and immediately just resonated that I could take all of these like complicated, poetic thoughts that I was feeling and put them to music. I just didn't know how. My dad had a rusty old acoustic guitar, and I picked it up and just took one guitar lesson, shout out to Reese, and he. I, I asked him, what can I do to learn how to get all of these words, all these lyrics that I'm coming up with into music? And he taught me the basic chords. He gave me a poster off his own wall and was like, here you go, man, just do the poster. And that was the only guitar lesson I ever needed. Um, I... <laughs> Just learned all the basic chords and have been writing songs ever since. And I still do that. It's a lot of just two and three chord songs. And I get excellent musicians like Joey, Marshall, and Nestor to help me complicate it just a little bit more than <laughs> playing one or two chords. It's been a journey and it's ever evolving and ongoing. And I just love it. Every time I'm on stage, I just know that's exactly where I'm supposed to be. So Bright-Eyed Friend is one of my oldest original songs. I think I wrote it when I was 16. And it's funny because it kind of gave me my first insight as to writing a successful song in my definition of the word successful, which was it resonated with people. I had a friend quite literally asked me, is that song about me? <laughs> and I said, sure, sure, man. 
That's <laughs> the song. The song, yes. The song's about you. Yeah. Um, I've had numerous of those experiences, but that, that was definitely the first one, and it was with this song. Um, but this song really means a lot to me, and it's taught me a very valuable lesson in my life, and that's um, how to play a song like your life depends on it how to play a song like it's the last chance you'll ever have to play it. I lived in Corpus Christi for a few years and would often go down to the beach and play guitar um, just along Ocean Drive, just the downtown on one side, the beach on the other. I really liked the, the contrasting styles of that, to have city and beach right there. Um, definitely one of my favorite places to play music. Well, I was out there playing one night in a white van, pulls up, they hop the curb, come right in front of me, two guys jump out, and one pulled out a knife, and he came up to me and held his knife up to my throat and said, give me all your money. And for some reason, I chose smart assery as my defense mechanism and said, man, I'm playing guitar on the beach. I don't have any money. And he was like, well, give me your guitar. And at the time, I was playing a old, beaten up, really, really junky guitar. And I just told him, man, it's, this guitar isn't worth anything to a pawn shop. And so he thought for a second, and he said, well, play me a song. And that kind of took me, took me aback a little bit, and... I I knew a lot of songs at that point, a lot of cover songs, a lot of songs that people knew, and those were the ones I often played for people. But in that moment, I could only think about Bright-Eyed Friend. I could only think about this one very particular song. And so I said, okay, I will play you a song. And I played it for him. And about halfway through, he broke down crying, dropped the knife on the ground, and at the end of it, he just left. Um, didn't say anything. Just left. And, you know, I, I really did. I, I learned that's how you play music. Like, it's the last chance you'll ever have to do it. And not only just play music, but that's how you live your life. Just moment to moment. Just live it to the absolute fullest extent you can. Um, I wish someone didn't have to hold a knife to my throat to teach me that lesson, but sometimes we take extreme measures and get extreme results. Um, but yeah, I, I tell that story often, and people are always coming up after the shows and saying, oh, is that a true story? It's like, I wouldn't make it up. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would make up something much more glamorous, <laughs> much more... Uh, much more rock star. That's um, that's got a realness to it that I don't think I could make it up if I wanted to. But it was definitely one of the closest I've ever been to a a knife, <laughs> and um, also the closest I've ever been to playing music for the right crowd. So, if by some chance that dude hears this, thank you. Um, you've taught me a lot about life and music and I'm deeply grateful. This song is called Bright-Eyed Friend. <laughs> 
your favorite music to listen to, Garrett? My favorite music to listen to is My Morning Jacket. They are my favorite band and have been ever since I saw them uh, play live at Red Rocks. And that's definitely a, a Martian goal. Uh, I, yeah. We will, oh, we will play sure. at Red Rocks. I can, oh, I can yeah. say that with complete confidence. We will play at Red Rocks in some fashion. I'm looking forward to that. But My Morning Jacket has driven me and just the way that they perform, the passion that they perform with every single time I've seen them, that just really, really is as close to 
musical perfection as I've been a witness to, and I definitely strive to be a lot like that. Um, like I said, Bright Eyes, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, all huge influences on me and what I do and how I live my day-to-day life. But um, My Morning Jacket definitely takes the cake for me. As a drummer, um, <clears throat> The Police was probably the band that made me really fall in love with the drums. And I'd been playing before that, yeah. but once I really started diving into the things that Stuart Copeland was doing in The Police, I was just, you know, I'm like, wow. He's like grabbing from punk rock, he's grabbing from reggae, he's grabbing from pop rock. He's taking all these elements and putting them all together. And having, you know, grown up in music, I was listening to everything, anything and everything. And so to hear a drummer be able to encapsulate all of those genres as one player just blew me away. That's that's probably what really got me as a drummer. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to play drums. I want to be able to express myself through across a drum set in any style, in any, you know, set, setting or situation. Yeah, versatility, which, yeah, I would describe you that way too, though. Mm-hmm. What is your primary motivating factor regarding the music you make? We're, we're Martian folk. We play Martian folk for Martian folk. And although that sounds kind of like a, a I don't know, what you call it, a mantra or a catchphrase, uh, that that's actually like the reality in what we do because everybody feels Martian at some point, alienated or different, unique, left out, um, you know, all those emotions that you get. Kind of Martian folks sort of about as Martians, it's really about the human experience and all the emotions that we all can connect to because we all feel all these emotions at some point in time. That is something that kind of unites an entire audience, that everybody goes through this, these same emotions. We're just expressing it from you know, our point of view, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that, because I mean, I think the trickiest part of, especially when you get to the, the negative side of emotion, when you're, when you're anxious or when you're sad or when you're just lonely and you just feel so alone, it feels like nobody's ever experienced it in the way that you are right there. It's so easy to convince yourself that you're all alone. But then in my experience, when I hear a song written by someone who has gone through that, it just resonates with me in such a way that just lets me know I'm not alone. So we we have a, a tagline or a mantra or a catchphrase. If you're ever feeling Martian, you can always find your folk. Nice. I like that. What are the main themes in the music you make and why are these important to you? Love, 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 love. We've listened to a lot of Beatles. Yeah. All you need is Yeah. Don't sing more than thirty seconds of that. Yes. Or I could just sing it off key. Yeah, yeah. You know, the algorithm won't catch it. PMI. Um no, uh love. I mean love is the uh the thing that drives me to make music. It's the thing that drives me to live my life in the way that I do. And it's um, it sounds cheesy because it is cheesy because every artist ever has tried to take this amazing feeling that they feel and tried to find a different way to express it, a unique way to express it. And um, that's where we bring the Martian to the folk and we try to do it in our own way. I was at a presentation one time, uh, I'm not going to name drop the person who gave the presentation, but 
Uh, he was saying that Joey not name he, dropping is a big deal. He said that <laughs> you know music music is communication. You're trying to communicate something to other people, and if it were possible, you would hook a a, a tube from your heart to another person, mm-hmm. and they would have direct transference of your emotions. Well, we can't do that, or we wouldn't do that. But you know, doing it through music is as close as you're going to get. You're literally emitting through sound waves how you feel, and people yeah. receive that. Well, and it's energy, and, and right? And it goes back and That's forth. That's right, energy. Yeah, it's energy. And you can tell, we've gotten the comment, and I love that. I love it when we get the comment that people say, you really look like you love what you do. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. that, and, and that you can see that when people perform. So, and then, you know, as, a, as an audience member or a listener, you know, once you can see how comfortable that person is on that side of the stage, you're more comfortable on your side of the stage. Yeah. And that's where it really starts to become pretty magical. You know, I've I've had performances where I'm in tears as the performer because I can catch somebody's glance and see how it's affecting them, and vice versa. And that's that's really really a so neat cool. thing. <laughs> how do you choose the covers you do, and what process do you go through to make them unique? We really just pick songs that have impacted us in some way. A big one for me is if I am trying to capture a memory a feeling, an emotion from my past that that song really soundtracks that moment for me. I I can so easily remember all the words. I can play it basically after either looking it up or trying to figure it out almost instantly. But if someone brings me a song and says, oh, I just you guys could just kill this song. I try to look at it. I listen to it 10 times over. I try to play it and it just doesn't really doesn't really resonate. And as much as I'd love to play any song that anybody wants to hear in our own way, it has to, it still just has to come from the heart. And more importantly, I think it has to come from the experience. So any cover songs we've played, I genuinely have just a heartfelt experience of those songs. What's interesting for me is that sometimes my experience from that cover song is a shared experience wherein I don't have a uh, historical emotion attached to the song, but I develop one by playing it with Garrett. And so now there's a bunch of songs that I didn't necessarily know before, but now have a real deep meaning for me through our repetition of performance, which is you know very different than a song that he has like you know tied into his life that he's able to do. So then that you take that and you compound that to the other members of the band. So now the song like not only has a vivid memory attached to it, it also has these performance experiences built into the cover song. And it's admittedly selfish, too, because I'm realizing now Joey, Nestor, and Marshall bring me songs all the time. I don't know if we've ever played one of them. So, um... so I gotta say this. I got so you are not the Mustang Sally Freebird no. stairway guy. No. Yeah, yeah. Our uh, great songs. Yeah, great, great songs. songs. And that's and that's a part of it too. Is um, we avoid those great classic songs because they are what they are. They're amazing, and they've already captured something truly special, truly unique that is outliving time. When you take bands like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or just it's they've done something truly special that's going to live forever without our help. We don't have to <laughs> we don't have to give our take on something that's already perfect. I'm going to ask you now to tell me about some of your Martian folk songs. 
Uh, let's start with some of your classics. <laughs> it's all right. I love the idea that Martian folk has classics already. Like that, that to me, just like that, <laughs> that makes me smile from the inside out. It's All Right is a song I wrote with my mom. I sat down with my guitar. We were both going through it. She sat down at the piano and I asked her, what would you want to write a song about? And she says, I don't know. And I said, if you could tell the whole world anything, Anything at all, what would it be? And she said, it's all right. Behind the scenes, it's two chords. It's two of the most popular chords (laughs) that ever are played in music, but there is so much love behind the message that it's all right. And I think it really resonates with people. I had someone I didn't even know come up to me and tell me that one of their friends showed them it's all right on Spotify. And anytime she's felt anxious or upset or depressed, she's listened to that song without even knowing me, you know, without even knowing us as a band. And she says that it's, it's just healing. And that's, and that's just so special because I think a lot of our fans know us as people, love us as people and love our music by proxy. But when you take us as people out of the equation and people can just relate to the music that deeply I mean that that's it. That's that's what I I want our music to be able to stand alone. I mean, we're we're great people. We're we're all we're all really cool guys, but if our music can stand alone to where you can hear it and not know us and still feel that 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 to me is it's all right. <laughs> It's all right to be where you are tonight. It's okay if you had that kind of day. It's all good. Everybody feels misunderstood from time to time. It sure blows my mind Cause everybody's different Yet everyone's the same Left all alone Who's left to blame It's all up to you now It always is With nothing to do But just exist It's alright It's okay If you had that kind of day It's all good Everybody feels misunderstood From time to time And it sure blows my mind 
take all your fear and all of your doubt and let it in so you can let it out that's the only way through this we'll make it I swear no matter where you wanna go I know that we'll get there Cause it's alright To be where you are tonight It's okay If you had that kind of day It's all good Everybody feels misunderstood from time to time And it sure blows my mind But it's alright How about the waterfall? Uh, the waterfall is a song that I wrote for my granddad And I've got a cabin out in the woods And my son was actually born out there and when we were going down to go out to the woods to have him be born and bring him into the world, there's a mechanical cage that my granddad had constructed. And we put all the stuff in it, and it goes down this hill into this beautiful canyon, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> we had all the stuff in it, and we just had weeks of supplies, because you just don't know how long you're going to be down there, especially waiting on a child to be brought into the world, you just have no idea. Everything's unexpected. Well, I was expecting the unexpected, and I sat up there at that cage and just sat with it, sat with it, sat with it, and I said, all right, you know, I'm going to just take all this stuff down the hill. It's not a big deal. It's going to kill me, and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. And I genuinely heard my granddad's voice, and he said, you'd better fix that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a handy person. <laughs> I am not gifted in such a way, but I did. I fixed it and it worked. I don't I still don't know how I fixed it to be honest. I banged on stuff, turned stuff, screwdriver and was just moving stuff around and it worked. And I felt my granddad in that moment more than I have since he was still alive and it was uh it was really beautiful and there's a waterfall down there and it's the white noise of the place anywhere you go you hear the waterfall anywhere you are it's you just hear that just in the background and i genuinely every time i go down there i feel him his ashes are there but in just an energetic sense yeah i i do i i hear his voice in the waterfall ring out, I swear I heard it just the other day and I needed it so much more than words could say and just as my ego was about to take a hit came to me and said 
you'd better fix that shit. After all, I swear I hear your voice in the waterfall. So I'm walking through this land we used to walk, looking for a sign. And then a tree falls over. Oh yeah, I've got mine Something to make all this normalcy appear divine To remind me no matter where I am Everything's just fine After all, I swear I hear your voice in the waterfall. Maybe you're not gone. After all. Cable car is really fun, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and we took a, we went down there to record, and we piled all of our gear into it. It took multiple trips. Yeah, it was really cool, though. I knew Joey trusted both me and the cable car when he put his vibraphone inside of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, who needs a hug? Uh, everyone. One yeah. Of my <laughs> Especially after this last week. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> totally. A warm oh hug. That's a song that 
is total, it's like beauty in its simplicity. It's in a minor key, but it's a positive message. It's kind of like the juxtaposition of two polar opposites. And it just is, it just grabs you right away. We always get a great response from that, even from people who hear it for the first time, because it's such a bold statement or question. And just it, everybody kind of gets it. Yeah. I had a very vivid dream that we were playing that live on TV on a, on a show. And the host of the show, it loved the song. And it was just, just incredible moments, so vivid. One of those dreams that like you're going to take with you forever. And he had Garrett going out there, performing it, singing it. They were hugging the whole crowd. It, it, was, it was as real of a dream as I've ever had. Oh, and so I think that's going to happen at some point in time. Yeah. More of a premonition than a yeah. dream. Yeah. But, but because it's such something that everybody responds so positively to. Okay, so, you know, we, we heard it here. This is recorded, so let's see it on this date. <laughs> I want to see this happen. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, just, it's, it's always a joy to play, like I said. It, you know, it's, it's just really unique. It's very catchy and, and clever, and, and everybody needs a hug at some point or time. And there's nothing wrong with needing one, you know? He has a shirt that says Hug Dealer. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think, I think there'd be something more wrong with not needing one. Maybe there's uh, two kinds of people in the world. Those who need hugs and those who really need hugs. <laughs> <laughs> in love with love. That one's kind of tricky because people hear it and the trigger word is love. It's loud. It's in your face. It's fun. It, I'm screaming, dancing, having a great time. But lyrically, the idea is that for so long in my life, I didn't feel love because I was in love with love. And there was that degree of separation. And not being able to just let love be, I was trying to find it. And by trying to find it, I was admitting to myself that I didn't have it. There was like a lack of it. So that one's that one's a really tricky one. I had really hit the reset button on my life when I wrote that song. And I saw it for the first time. And the song is ironically or unironically about needing attention. <laughs> it's, a, it's just craving it. I think that's a big part of why I feel so passionate and scream in it. Because I love attention. I love it, especially when I'm on stage, especially when I'm playing music, and we can just turn up and just be loud. It's fun to have layers like that. It's fun that random people could hear us and see us play that song and be like, oh, look at that hippie screaming about love. But, but <laughs> that it could also have this, this underlying tone for the people who are really listening or the people who've heard it a thousand times or the people who've heard it a thousand times and then get to hear me say this and be like, whoa, never thought about it in that way, and then go back and listen to it. And you'll, and you'll just see that it's, it's written from a place of insecurity where I truly now realize and feel that love is the most secure thing in the world because it's ever-present, always. We have another song called Drinking Night that also is a very multi-layered thing where at your first listen, you think, oh, it's a song celebrating drinking. No, it's, it's not that at all mm -hmm. if you listen to the lyrics. Um, but you're not going to probably get that 
on first listen. So that's a song that is interesting to see the effect that it has on people because some people will, you know, just take that as the message. And then there's some people who are really listening, especially some people who have seen us in concert many times who really know like how deep that song is and how emotional that song is because, you know, a lot of people can connect to that song in a lot of different ways. Again, that's kind of one of those things where, you know, everybody has relation to that in positive or negative. Everybody understands the effects of, of drinking alcohol and, you know, people use it for celebration. People use it for depression. It's used or, or abused, misused for so many different reasons, but it's so prevalent in everybody's lives. And so just listening to those lyrics, it's, you know, obviously a much deeper song than just the title of the song. Yeah. And I think that's something that I'm really striving for is as an artist, I want songs that have so many layers that if you want to take it surface level, there's a layer there for you. There's, you can take it on the surface level. You can take the most obvious thing and say, yes, I feel that. That's what that song's about. There's that second layer where you kind of start to dig into it a little bit and you're like, oh, okay. It seems like it's about this, but I really think, and then there's that subconscious level that you can really just dig in. And I think that's, to me, where I'm, I'm always trying to create from and touch upon is even if you're not in the lyrics or the melody, you're in the feeling of it. And I think that's something that um, In Love With Love and Drinking Night, Who Needs a Hug, It's All Right. I mean, they all, they all have that. And the underlying is always love. It's just, um, as every single person in the entire world knows, it's steps. It's it's complicated steps to um, remember <laughs> that love is all there is. I've never felt like this before. Suddenly the world just means so much more, and I mean it more than words could say. Finally feeling a different way Now your heart beat Yes, your heart beat Took my breath so quickly Yes, your Heartbeat took my breath away. When suddenly I remember everything I once forgot, like to know who I am. Have to experience what I'm not And your heartbeat Took my breath so quickly Yes, your heartbeat Took my breath away
took my breath away how the inspiration for this song changed your life heartbeat is a is a, a fun one it was the first time i heard my son's heartbeat um we went his mom and i went to the ultrasound and we got to hear the heartbeat for the first time and immediately i just went home picked up my guitar and just played it and and it was just there and there it was there was a a song it was cheesy. It was just like not quite uh, as subtle as I would like my music to eventually become. It's very, very forward with, oh my gosh, I'm about to have a kid and I have no idea what's going to happen. But anybody who's had a kid can relate to that. It was the first idea I had of how to express what I was feeling in that moment about having a kid. And there's a lot of pressure on people when you're having a kid, but especially on songwriters when you're having a kid. Because all of a sudden people are just like, oh, I can't wait to see what you write once you have a kid. Oh, I can't wait to feel what you feel. And, you know, and there's these, all these crazy, crazy things that people say to you and you're just like, yeah, that's cool and all. And, I get it. Like suddenly you're going to have like all this time to write songs. You've got a kid, you know? Right, no right. distractions there. <laughs> or that I'll be able to put this impossible feeling into words somehow. <laughs> that I will finally be able to express what so many people have tried to express. But Wait till the kid's 18, then write the song. <laughs> yeah, John for Lennon, sure. beautiful boy. I was about to say Cat Stevens, because okay. he <laughs> nails it in so many ways. But... So I struggled with that for a long time. Heartbeat came very naturally to me. But after that, there was like just this lull in my writing because I felt the pressure of it. I felt like, oh, now that I'm a father-to-be, what is going to happen? And to bring it full circle back to the waterfall, that's why I was so grateful for the experience was that really just broke the... I wouldn't call it a writer's block, but it's about the closest thing I've ever come to having a writer's block. Um, that really broke it because it was just a direct experience that I knew I had to put into a song. And then I just kept writing music about other things. One of our newest songs that's a lot of fun to play and probably one of my favorites right now is actually a song I wrote about 
being a dad and the experience of it. And it's a very particular part of the experience of it because it's hard to capture in full. But it's about trying to get a kid in the car. (laughs) And the song is called In the Car. Cool. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear that. So is that your favorite new Martian folk song? Oh, they're all my favorite new Martian folk songs. Every everything we're doing right now is is my favorite. There are so many, so so many. And since since we changed the lineup in the band, and we have a bass player now, and we have Nestor playing sax through effects, he's kind of taken on the role, sort of as the traditional soloist or electric guitar player in a modern group, and harmonica as well. So he's become the instrumental lead voice to put into you know music what he's saying in words and just this combination of elements it you know it sounds unique and it it gives us more space so you can hear everything so much clearer than probably ever before you really can hear everything that's that we're doing everything yeah so there's like there's no hiding there's no duplication you know he's he's the only one playing the chords you know Marshall's playing the foundation the roots of the chords and then Nestor's improvising over all of that structure and I'm playing the drums or whatever. And so everything like has its own significant value. And so we've been writing a lot of songs, just knowing that that's kind of our sound now. Yeah. So yeah. we don't, there's, there, we, we had what well, we felt we had too much going on and it was hard to really listen down to hear everything before. So now we've, kind of just like stripped everything away to give that simplicity back, that openness in the sound. I'm going to ask this as a musician. Garrett, are you finding that as a lyricist and someone who comes up with the chord progressions, are you like inspired by the music of the band to write? Oh, most definitely. And I think that's a big part of why our songs change over time. I can pretty confidently say that they're never quite the same twice, (laughs) Uh, no matter what. There are times where I get so caught up in what Nestor is playing that I forget to start singing again. So it's why you might hear a legit eight-minute saxophone solo if you come to hear us play, because all of a sudden I'm in this like 1930s jazz lounge, just <laughs> completely teleported to a completely different place, and and all that exists is just this beautiful expression of music and notes and it's just it's just absolute perfection and um i really am just so grateful for the people that i get to play music with joey and i do our duo thing and it's always been so special and i really think that's the the foundation of what we've started but having nestor there and having marshall now it is again as close to my imagination being expressed as it possibly can be. Yeah, and I've heard a couple of songwriters say that, that, yeah, just having a band, it's just a gift, you know, to have a band that will, will play your songs, and there's something so, about that. So I break strings every single show. Yeah. I am looking for a sponsor who will provide me strings, <laughs> <laughs> maybe some that I can't break. <laughs> I think that would be something. If I can't break your strings and they last multiple shows, I think it would be a, uh, a mutually beneficial agreement. <laughs> um, but I break, I break strings all the time. 
And when a guitar goes from six to five, the entire instrument has changed. When it goes from five to four, it is hardly even a guitar anymore. And then I have to, I have to change it. But in a live show, I'm, again, from a theater background, the show must go on. So I can turn to either Joey, Nestor, or Marshall and say, do something. Yeah. And they start it. And then the rest of the band joins in. And I make up lyrics on the spot to whatever that feels like to me. Oftentimes, it's about me changing my guitar string. And I try to make it as poetic and beautiful as possible. But that's such a unique experience. And one of the beauties about seeing music live, especially with our group, is that it's never going to be the same. Even if we play the same songs, it's always going to be unique to that moment. And me breaking strings will unfortunately stay the same <laughs> but we always do something different when i do whether it's uh yeah garrett was talking about like that transportation back to like a jazz club nestor and i both are you know jazz is probably our music that we train the most on and so we're both very very comfortable improvising our way through all kinds of different things so to be able to have spontaneity and really enjoying jamming together and knowing that Garrett's going to put something on there and bring it all together every, every time it's, I mean, I look forward to those moments. It's like, if he didn't break a string, like, man, where, where's that jam at? Okay. We better do one. Like, yeah. cause we look forward to it as performers. And I think people look forward to it in the audience because it's so unexpected. You could sabotage his string. <laughs> <laughs> Just say you don't need to. Oh, you don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to. Yeah. But yeah, to anyone who who is listening, who is not seeing these guys live, I mean, y'all are. Some bands are better live, even than recorded. You know, and y'all are in that category, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's it's it's why we struggle to record ourselves is because we. We hold our live show to such a high standard that it's hard to match that standard in a recording. It's hard to put stuff out because the second we put stuff out, we're better the next time we played. <laughs> and it's um, it's tough. It's really, really tough to consistently put stuff out there. But we, we are gearing up for that. Um, we're going to be a lot more present on our social media, on our... YouTube channel. We're gonna. We've got some really cool ideas for videos, and we're we're really spinning those wheels. So we are um, in the process of making some really really great content, and hopefully, it matches the feel of what it's like to see us live. Tired of always doing as I'm told. Well, I'm just trying to get everybody in the car. Is everybody in the car? Is everybody in the car? Is everybody in the car? And oh, yeah, where we're heading, we really don't need a map if I'm being honest 
I'm just hoping you'll take a nap well, I'm just trying to get everybody in the car Is everybody in the car Is everybody in the car Is everybody in the car Grab your shoes if you need them Or leave them if you don't And if you're really my son I can guarantee you won't Cause I'm just trying to get everybody in the car Everybody in the car Is everybody in the car Is everybody in is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? I'm just trying to get everybody in. As a singer-songwriter, do you have a song that you are particularly proud of? I wouldn't say a particular one comes to mind from a songwriting standpoint. If it did, it would vary every night. (laughs) Usually it's the night where I go out and I talk to the people after the show And someone comes up to me and they mention a specific song. And then they give me what I consider to be the ultimate compliment is they say, I needed that. I needed that. And especially playing a lot of breweries like we do, you get a lot of drunken compliments, a lot of like, you guys are my new favorite band. Oh my gosh, you you blew my mind. And like, you know that that feeling will be gone in the morning when the alcohol's worn off. But when some, they remember your name. Exactly, exactly. But when someone comes up to you and says, I needed that, there's, there's something genuine about that. Um, very rarely is it a cover song. Uh, I guess Hallelujah would be our one cover that we play the Leonard Cohen tune that people are like, whoa, I needed that. But it's oftentimes just one of my original songs that catches someone. And those are the most, you know, true for me, of course. So it's, um, I think there's something that resonates there with them. But any song that makes someone say, I needed that. As a percussionist, Joey, Mm -hmm. do you have one particular song that you really enjoy playing? I try to have a unique voice in in every song so that I'm playing something slightly different on on the drums to complement what's going on in the song. Uh, Some of them are more up-tempo songs, require a little bit more energy or busy work. Some of them are very stripped down and open and simple. We have a song called It Takes Time that, like the first time I heard it, what I heard in my head was not what was being played. And I was like, okay, I got to get this out of me into the song. And I slowly was starting to 
like push to morph it to have a little bit more drive to it and added a lot of busy work to the song to have it, in my opinion, have this sort of like laser going forward. Kind of like when you're playing up-tempo swing and you're riding the, the ride and you really want the, that to be smooth. That's kind of how I envisioned the groove of the song is just being like moving at a constant speed and but not moving. I don't know if that makes much sense. So I needed to do a lot of busy work on the drums to keep that like filled with sound basically so that it had it has an arrival point when it gets to the chorus where the groove changes um that's one of my favorite ones to play uh because it's it's a kind of an exercise in dexterity as a drummer but it's also like that i'm really like pushing this drive and energy into and through the song and that's one that we really perform with a whole lot of energy and excitement we opened a show with it one time and like i really wanted the effect to just be like immediate energy takeoff and like almost shock and it was very effective but it's just a driving driving song it's really fun as a drummer and then we have something like too soon where i play so minimally but i love love playing the song because it has so much space and like we come to the end of a line and i do nothing and then i hit something on the next beat and it just has all this openness that you know as a drummer is just it's really fun to be able to really isolate what you do and have it match exactly what he does or what exactly what Nestor does. So I, I, I love, I love it all. Do you have any new projects you'd like to talk about? Definitely making some music videos. I don't know if it's, it's just my social media feeds or anything, but I have noticed a huge resurgence in actual music videos. And that's really exciting to me as a former theater major. I love the idea of making music videos um, with storylines in the video themselves and then compounding that with the storyline in the song, either having them contrast or just compare. It's I'm really, really excited. Marshall has a really, really great eye for video as well, so we've kind of just been going back and forth a little bit. There's nothing, nothing set in stone right now. It's definitely in the inspirational ether but we will be manifesting it as soon as we can and getting it out there what is the best place to find your music live whenever we play live (laughs) yeah which right now we have a residency at bold republic brewing so we're there pretty much every friday night seven to ten sometimes it moves to saturdays depending on the event that they have uh but you can find us there pretty much every week we have really fallen in love with playing there uh, because we do have a lot of people who come see us like every single week. And then we also have new people there every single week uh, because, you know, it's a, it's a brewery. It, it attracts people from far and wide and some people who are regulars that go there. And some people come there just to see us play, not necessarily because they're there to drink the beer or try try the food or whatever. We really have enjoyed playing there regularly. And then uh, Gary and I do the, a duet show at Fire Street Pizza every Sunday, 12 to 3. And then in between all of those, we play Roots in Georgetown. We play Fire Street Pizza, sometimes evening shows. We play a Southern Roots Brewing up in Waco. We're going to start playing at some other places soon. So just getting the music out there so that people can see us in the best way possible, which is in concert. Yeah, and we usually post all of our events on our Facebook page and our Instagram. We try to keep everybody in the know the second we know. So um, we we take last minute gigs as well. So, so we uh, we can pop up and play almost anytime, anywhere. 
But um, yeah, our residency at Bold Republic Brewing and Fire Street Pizza on Sundays would be where to find us most often. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, thank you both for your time. As always, it's been a great pleasure. And best wishes for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us on, and it's been fun. And we'll, uh, we'll tagline it with, if you're ever feeling Martian, you can always find your folk. Martian folk. And if you're ever feeling Martian, you can always find your folk. Peace. Love. Love, 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 love. And may the force be with you. Well, it's been a weird couple of weeks, has it not? And, of course, a bunch of politicians have said and done a lot of really stupid things. And a bunch of uh, PVC pipes are now broken. And I don't know if anyone has noticed, but in and around all this other stuff, a rover went up to Mars, Perseverance, and who knows, maybe they'll find something that uh, Garrett and Joey left up there. That would be something. And of course, that uh, polar vortex went and took itself a little stroll. That was pretty interesting. And what we're learning about climate science and climate change is that sort of thing could 
happen again. People are calling it uh, a possible end of seasons. I don't know if that's a scare story or if that really could happen. But just in case, I, I think it might not be a bad idea to find some northerners, some winter people who've grown up with this sort of thing, and maybe talk with them, get some winter survival tips. So I'm sitting here with... Blue. And you've got red hair. <laughs> Very interesting. I'm guessing that's a nickname. At least you're not frozen blue anymore. So you grew up up north, right? You were born... Where were you born? I was born in Minnesota, grew up uh, in Illinois, northern Illinois, and Iowa. Okay, Northern Illinois. Would that be near Chicago? Yeah, 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 around there. Okay, so you know cold, right? A little. Okay, so do you have any winter survival tips? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, well, I was Army, and uh, I went to basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky in October to December, and it gets fairly cold there. And by happenstance, it seemed like almost everybody in my basic training company was from California, Florida, or Texas. We went out on our our field uh, exercise at the end of basic training where you stay out in the woods for about a week. And it was cold. There was snow on the ground. Nowhere to go to warm up. And uh, a lot of my basic training buddies from the south would stand around in the cold and just stand there shivering. And I, as a northerner, I'd come up to them and go, hey, if you move around, you'll stay warmer. And almost all of them would look at me and say, I can't move. It's too cold. If you move around, if you stomp your feet, if you walk back and forth, you won't be as cold. I can't move. I'm too cold. I had a lot of conversations like that. I think a lot of people here felt like that. Yeah, yeah. I can't leave my house. It's too cold. And I I guess it's just what you grow up with. But that's when you're outside in the cold. Sure, but the the same thing applies if if your power's off like it was here and like in our house, it got down to 37 degrees one morning. And uh, the same thing's true. You know, put on a lot of clothes, keep moving. That's that's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Any other winter survival tips? Um, well, as far as just surviving uh, in your house, uh, if you don't have anywhere else to go, like, like we really didn't, is uh, use what you got. We were fortunate enough. We had a fireplace. And some land to collect wood on. So we just made good use of that and spent a lot of time by the fire and collected snow melt for water. Look for the things you can use. If all else fails, if you've got a car, you can uh, use that to warm up for brief trips. or And charge it. your phone when you have no power. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That, that was our phone charging station. What do you all do for fun in the winter? Now, I'm asking you, but I grew up north too. I know what I did for fun. But what did you do for fun? Um, as a kid, uh, of course, you play in the snow a lot. And, and when you're a kid, I, I think you don't, especially if you grow up with it, you don't mind the cold as much. And so, you know, you can spend hours outside building snow forts and tunneling through the snow. Yeah. Um, especially any northerner will know, you know, when the snow plows come through, they create big banks of snow on the sides of the road. And if it's a lot of snow, um, that's perfect for kids to tunnel into or even build slide an igloo. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Build an igloo. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we counted on a minimum of two weeks snow days. It oh. was, yeah. Being a kid in, in winter is, is a lot more fun than being a, an adult. Oh, well, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, the adults have to actually snuggle, shovel the driveways though. When you get older, the kids have to help out with that too. And but, drive in it. Yeah, and the adults <laughs> have to drive in it. The kids don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I was in Des Moines, Iowa, 
it was one of those winters and we got a big ice storm, freezing, freezing temperatures, lots of ice coating the trees. And, uh, this may sound weird to Texans, but the, the trees were exploding because it gets cold enough and enough ice accumulates. It seeps into the, the branches of the trees, especially if they're dead. And then as the ice expands, tree branches start exploding and then dropping down onto roads, blocking them and dropping down onto roofs and cars and all sorts well, of Well, I think stuff. we saw a couple of exploded trees here. Yeah, that is a new and weird experience. Yeah. That's not a normal thing, though, for, for up north. No, it has to be specific conditions to yeah. get exploding trees. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, there are other cities in Iowa besides Des Moines. Just, just saying. <laughs> Two of them, I think. Yeah, there's a couple. All right. Any other words of wisdom or thoughts vis-a-vis winter? Yeah, us Northerners um, usually laugh, try to laugh good-naturedly at our, our less experienced snow-driving Southern brethren and sistren. <laughs> Um, well, because if you don't, if you don't, it's okay. If you don't grow up driving on snow, you just don't have the practice. And the two biggest mistakes I see people make, and I saw it during this last winter storm are driving too fast or ironically driving too slow when it's pure ice. If you're, if you're going down a straight level road, 20 to 30 miles an hour is good. If you're going up and down hills, like I was. 15 to 20 miles an hour might be good, but you might, if you're in control of your car, want to get up to 30 on a downslope if you have to get up the next hill. The important thing is to make small moves. Never stamp on the brakes. You got to tap the brakes lightly and see how the car responds. And of course, everybody hopefully learned in driving schools, if you start to skid, turn in the direction of the skid so that you can straighten yourself out. I saw a whole lot of people, even in big four by four trucks, I think those things make people feel like they don't have to worry about conditions. So a whole lot of people, especially big four by four trucks, sliding size sideways down hills. You just got to take it real slow. And at the beginning of any journey, if the you got a lot of snow or ice and you don't know what the roads are like, you find a straight stretch where there's no cars. Get it up to 10 miles an hour and then slam on the brakes and see what your car does. <laughs> Brief, briefly to see if you can control it and see what you got to do. And then, then get it up to 15 miles an hour. Slam on the brakes or at least hit them real quick. Then 20. And then you kind of get a feel for what's right for the conditions and for your specific car. <laughs> what? Practice on a skating rink or something? <laughs> That's well, I my, don't know. My little country road was a skating rink, as were most yeah, of the rest. Yeah, they were. So, oh, boy. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I am talking with Mark in Wisconsin, um, northern Wisconsin, no less. So, so say hello to Texas. <laughs> hello, Texas. Are you yep. staying warm? <laughs> now we are. Just don't have water, most of us, a lot of us. So, in case something like this happens again, because it could, um, do you have any winter survival tips? Well, down south, I, I doubt people are as prepared for winter as we are. We deal with it all, you know, all winter long. It gets into the sub-zero. Uh, even our clothes that we wear, you know, we have long underwear, wool socks, and wool hats, and gloves and yeah a lot of people wear. didn't have boots and coats for this so being prepared what kind of things 
do you do up there for fun? In the wintertime, we do a lot of bowling, actually. A lot of bowling. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, uh, you know, somewhere to get in out of the cold. But uh, yeah. there's a lot of outdoor activities. You oh, know, yeah. People snowmobile, and they ice fish, and they cross-country ski, and they snowshoe. Tell us all about ice fishing. Ice fishing. Well, early in the year, you have to be careful because the ice isn't thick enough. You got to wait until it gets uh, uh, starts getting over four inches, three and a half, four inches before you can walk on it. And then the thicker that it gets progressively, uh, you could take a snowmobile out with six inches and then a car with eight or nine inches, a light car. And then when it gets... 10, 12, 14 inches, they get the heavier rigs out there. Then they start uh, taking uh, shelters out there, fishing shacks, and oh, pull yeah. them around with the trucks. There's some people that got more into their fishing shacks than they do their house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I could see that happening for sure. Like a home away from home, so to speak. Well, they spend six months out of the year out there. They got satellite TV and everything that you got at home. Yeah, you wonder how much fishing actually gets done. <laughs> yeah, it's a big party most of the time, but uh, they do catch fish. Yeah, <laughs> just enough to justify it, I suppose. Any other thoughts? The best thing that you can do uh, for wintertime is, like I say, be prepared for it. But if you're not expecting it, it's kind of hard. You know, you got to come up with some last-minute stuff. You know, if you're stuck inside, you can uh, blanket off rooms. and and, Because we do that, too. We section off off the upstairs. A lot of people don't heat their upstairs in the wintertime. They just shut it off so you can keep uh, the downstairs warm. Yeah, okay. Because all, you know, heat rises. You can use your kitchen oven to warm up a little bit, you know, if your if you're heater goes. It, it depends. If the power goes out at the same time, that's when it gets dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and that was definitely a thing here. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, you know, people using their cars to heat up the garage and hanging out in the garage. That, yeah, that's that not would, a good idea. You yeah. know, carbon monoxide gets you. Between cars and charcoal are the worst. Uh Propane, you can actually smell it sometimes, but uh, it can still get you. Yeah, yeah. Any, any, any hydrocarbon that you burn inside without ventilation, it's not a good idea. But yeah, I think the people who had fireplaces down here did a lot better than people without. Oh, absolutely, because they're rented to the outside. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they have for wood down there, if they burn scrap wood or what. I've known people bust up furniture and burn it. <laughs> Then you get all that glue. Then you got all that glue smelling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's burn some press board. You know. Expensive, depending on your furniture. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to burn the good stuff. It's uh. No, we were minus twenty last week, and it's just now warming up. Yeah, Iowa was hit pretty bad. You know, minus twenty five, and in Sioux City it was like minus thirty. Here I am talking with another northerner, Karen. Uh, where do you hail from? Well, um, while I was born in Massachusetts, you know, spent childhood in Chicago and a large portion of my adult life in Des Moines, Iowa, and then also Sioux City, Iowa. Okay. Yeah. By the Missouri river there. Yeah. What are your uh, survival tips? How do you survive winters up there? You know, there's a lot of 
positivity, trying to <laughs> enjoy the kids enjoy the snow a lot. My teenage oh, yeah. son, uh, he he looks at the snow as oh, I get to shovel, so it's money. <laughs> but also, he you know, in our car, when it gets to be a certain temperature, we make sure there's always a blanket and winter gear in case there were to be something that happens. We have de-icer and windshield um, de-icer and uh, we make sure there's always charger for the battery and one of the extra things that we've invested in is um, the personal um, charger that also has battery power to it so that if our phones were to die um, there's there's battery outlets in it which would greatly help if our power were to go out in our home an extra power source and I don't have to look for a car if my vehicle were to go out to jump the, the battery and that that generally stems from I have a vehicle that the battery tends to go out quite often. Hmm, yeah. Uh, hey. Basically just, yeah, thinking ahead for stuff that could happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. Do you have any fond memories, you know, fun things, you know, and just fun things that you do in the winter? The kids like to build, um, we've done this a couple times. The kids like to build an igloo in the yard. Yeah. Um, they like to go sledding. Um, we have what's called Cone Park here, and it, they have tubes down the, that inner tubes down the hill, and oh, then yeah. it brings you back up. So that's Sweet. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, there's ice skating. I remember as a kid, we used to actually go ice skating out on the pond. So that was oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. I lived for Making that. snow angels. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You've done work for the homeless, and that's been kind of a thing down here. You know, that kind of hits people hard when they're really unprepared. The the vulnerable people. And, yes. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? It's a population of people that um, really need to be protected and helped as much as possible. We have here in Sioux City, we have the warming shelter. Having a place where people can go when the temperatures dip, where it just, it's dangerous um, to be outside. I mean, it's absolutely a necessity to be able to protect people. I happen to serve with a volunteer place that helps hand out you know, warming things for your hands, water, gloves, socks, all the different things that can make a difference between life and death. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the on winter and, you know, what a Texan could do? A few small things, having a few small things in your home can, preparing ahead of time can just make make a big difference. My thoughts are with all you guys. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're, you know, at the moment, Things are a lot warmer here, but we're still recovering. I mean, there's a lot of people still without water. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of. Yeah. But people have definitely helped each other out. That's been that's, that's been a good thing to see. To hear. But, uh, and that's all you can do, really, yeah. is just then try and help each other out, right? Okay. I think it's time we brought out the big guns and talked with somebody from somewhere where it gets really cold, like Canada. And that way, we'll make this into an international broadcast. <laughs> Thing is, this particular Canuck actually expatriated his bad self all the way out to Berlin. 
a place that used to be a cold weather climate, but now it's the ostensible hipster capital of the world? Was? Oh mein Gott. Das kann nicht richtig sein. Well, we'll have to just see, won't we? Hello, Canuck. But Double check that there's no one looking for me at work. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm still so supposed to be on the clock for another half hour, so. Okay. Um, You're working. All right. Yeah, home office. I was born in Manitoba. Born in Manitoba. And raised is a little more complicated. You, quality time in the high Arctic, though. So. Yeah, I mean, you didn't you all, your family live with the Inuit for a while because your mm -hmm. folks were teaching. So, yeah, you know cold, right? I know cold. Okay, so... That's why I live in a country that doesn't have so much of it. Um, yeah, didn't Germany used to have cold weather? What happened? Yeah, it turns out not really anymore. Um, we so, had a week there where, you know, it hovered around zero Celsius. Oh, boy. Down, there was some snow, it stuck a bit. Oh, about a week. So it's like Texas and Berlin have like switched places. Well, it's a lot drier out there the rest of the year in Texas than it is in Berlin. I mean, depends. Are, are we talking the wetter part of the world? Well, okay. There's there's East Texas, which is very wet, and there's yeah. Central Texas, which is well. A lot of Germans came to Central Texas. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes. So checks we covered them in linguistics yeah, classes. Yeah, actually, yes. I don't know if any Germans are homesick yeah. for snow. They could just come here, right? So, do you have any survival tips? Cold weather survival tips, Canuck. Well, okay. Um, the serious ones: enclosed spaces. Uh huh. Socks, toilet paper, paper towels under the doors to prevent the you know keep the air from escaping through the cracks. Because I know how American houses are built. You know, blankets over the windows. Yeah, um, those are the good. The more confined the space, the more heat will stay in. Alcohol will numb you to it, which could be good, but yes. not so good. You get too numb to it, you end up hypothermia without noticing. If you're up for it, sex is traditionally the Canadian way of coping. I, I, I think, alcohol. yeah, we're, sex we're and alcohol. Coping. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I think Texans can figure those things out. Now, so I don't know yeah, what they teach you in the schools down there, but you know, insert tab A and slot B. It's not that hard. Yeah, um, I don't think it's. Taught in this well, it might be. I don't know. I didn't go to school in Texas, but I think I think Texans figure it out. Let's just say that. The uh, statistics suggest they do. Yes. Yes. Ed Hirsch. I saw him interviewed on NBC, and so I looked him up, and he did this thing. This this nasty article in uh, the Houston Chronicle, I think, where he basically said that ERCOT is is using a Soviet central planning model. Oh. Um. <laughs> I've heard some people. The, the principal problem with it is that this that ERCOT can't make the CEOs of these companies do anything, unlike the Soviet Union, where they could send them to the gulag. <laughs> oh God! So they have all the inefficiency, but with none of the fear. Oh. Yes. So you know what kept the lights on in the Soviet Union? Fear of the gulag. What keeps them on in Texas? Nothing. The upside of this kind of terrible weather is that um, it's easy to keep things frozen. Most of the meat sold in the United States is, in fact, safe to eat raw if it has been fully frozen. So just take that pot roast, put it out on the porch, get a sharp knife, slice it real thin. It's good with soy sauce. 
All right. That's how the Inuit used to do it. With the soy sauce, too, huh? With the soy sauce. They, yes. Uh, you wouldn't believe what they ate before they had soy sauce. Um, <laughs> Thank God There's a that. traditional Inuit recipe that calls for making a sauce out of the undigested contents of a caribou's stomach. I don't think we can find too many caribou down here in Texas, so we'll have to improvise. Um, We'll just Um, use soy sauce. As I understand the underlying climate science, yeah, yeah. climate change Change. has weakened the temperature. And as a result, the polar vortex, which used to just live in Canada, where we were all used to it, (laughs) uh, now feels free to to travel to Mexico when it feels like it. Yeah, just like a certain senator we all know and yeah mm-hmm. yeah they were showing the snowbanks in mexico on the news here awesome um, you will not know how bad it is until it's too late so you know don't say oh it doesn't feel that bad and go out in inadequate clothing you will say at first well yes this is cold but it's not so bad i'll make it and then you won't that's that's one thing they teach children in canada just because it seems okay that first minute doesn't mean you're not going to be dead in 15. Okay, so they teach you, they teach you, yeah, how to survive the cold. Do they teach you sex in Canada? <laughs> um, ironically, when COVID started up, um, the government of British Columbia set out a, a, a pamphlet oh, on no. how to reduce your COVID risk. And one of them was, if you have sexual intercourse, um, you should do it with physical barriers. And then in parentheses, i.e. a glory hole. Oh, oh! Welcome to Canada, oh, British California. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's just wrong. Currently, it reduces your risk of COVID considerably. I gather you also have exploding pipes. The advice in Canada is that as soon as you detect a leak, you need to shut down the water at the entry to the house. There will either be one by your meter or by the property line or both. Off is the direction away from the flow of water. Do not light a fire in your home. It's surprising that many people need to have that advice. If you have a pile of bricks, which I gather is also not such a big problem in Texas, one of the things they tell you is that you can light a fire outside the home, put the bricks in it, and then ferry the bricks into the house. Try not to be that hard up in the first place. If push comes to shove, you can eat your dog, but I prefer you didn't. That was what the Inuit used to say, that, you know, why are you still using dogs when you go hunting instead of a snowmobile? Well, because you can't eat a snowmobile. Oh, that's true. Not much advice and probably not useful, but there it is. Good luck. Uh, these polar vortex storms, they rarely last more than a week or two, but, I mean, the continuing damage is likely to be longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, people, people figuring out how to drive in this stuff, but that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, don't. I mean, this is Texas. You're terrible enough drivers already. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, wait a minute. No, you know, I remember driving into Texas from New Mexico and, you know, basically, welcome to Texas. Drive friendly. Belgians are the worst. They're worse than Americans. They're worse than any Americans. The terrible Have you drivers. driven in Korea? In Korea, no. That I'll admit I have no experience attempting to use an automobile in Korea. We were on a trip in Southeast Asia where we found out that that invisible middle lane that only Asians use in California, well, apparently they use it in, Southern, in Southeast Asia too. They drive in the center of the road until somebody's coming. The great thing about Belgium, however, is that any useful sign will be after the place where you needed the information. You know, which town is at this exit? It'll tell you 200 meters later. I wonder why that is. 
Oh, no, I asked somebody. You know what they told me? What? It's in case the Germans invade. Oh. And I said, but, you know, the Germans have TomTom. Yeah, this was 10, 15 years ago when I lived in Belgium before everyone had it on their cell phones. You know, they, they could put that in the tanks. They know how. Well, there you have it. Winter survival tips. Not all of which are advocated and certainly not endorsed by Tornado Radio. Especially consider that the Midwest, probably Canada, and definitely Texas, is populated by at least a few people whose last words will be, hold my beer and watch this. But really, some of the best winter advice that I got was from someone in my family who said, I don't really survive winter, I just hibernate, which is what I think a lot of us have felt like doing. So, hey, it's all right. (laughs) That's what they do up north. So maybe this was just a fluke, or maybe this really is the end of seasons. But no matter what, I think it's good if we can laugh about it at least a little, even while we try to prepare ourselves. Because harsh weather can be dangerous if you're not prepared for it. And in the world of music, we actually lost somebody down in North Austin. Gene Taylor of the fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, their piano player, died in his sleep after um, about five days of no heat. And of course, the only reason why we know about this is because he had a claim to fame in the world of music. But I'm sure there are plenty of other people that we don't know about. So that might be something to try to prepare ourselves for, if we can. But let's not let's not make this into a, a doom and gloom kind of thing. Let's look for some hope. Because, yeah, I mean, if we are a little bit better prepared, we can enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the winter. If that's what we're going to have, who knows. But either way, no matter what happens, I wish you some warm and happy days <laughs> with water. <laughs> and as always, peace be with you all.